You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org. Our gospel reading for today comes from Luke in the 13th chapter, beginning with the first verse. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See, here, three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this Lenten season, We've been focusing on the dangerous road to Jerusalem and the cross. We began with wilderness temptations, visited our personal Jerusalem, and today we stand with Jesus' followers as they try to make sense of a pair of uncontrollable difficulties and disasters. You know, it's not real hard to read ourselves into this part of the story. Remember how fearful we were in the early days of the pandemic? When the virus was brand new and death tolls were soaring? Its fingers reached deep into our cultural consciousness. It threatened our healthcare systems. It upended world economies. Every day brought a whole new level of crisis. And today, today we watch and we weep as Palestinian citizens in Gaza are terrorized by falling bombs, by imminent starvation, while Israeli families continue to mourn loved ones who have been brutalized or killed. 
So the questions that this passage raises are as fresh as yesterday's news and as old as the Bible. Where is God when calamity strikes? Why does one person die and another lives? Is there a connection between sin and the disasters that befall us? You see, I think it's human nature in the face of chaos to try to find some explanations that offer us at least some illusion of being in control. And so we can understand and we can empathize with the people who were questioning Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. What about those Galilean pilgrims, the ones that Pilate slaughtered while they were in Jerusalem to offer their sacrifice? Why were they killed? Was it because they were too political? Or because they lived in Galilee among the Gentiles? Tell us, Jesus, help us understand the ways in which they are not like us. And what about the Jerusalemites? Standing by that pool when the tower fell, were they crushed because of their sin or because they somehow lacked enough faith to be protected? We need you, Jesus. We need you to point out the difference between our lives and their lives to reassure us that if we are living right, however it is that we've come to define right, then God is going to protect us when the chips are down. We need to separate ourselves from risk by rehearsing all the ways in which we are different, stronger, more powerful, more deserving, less sinful, more beloved than someone else. But it's a lot more difficult for us to relate to Jesus' seemingly very insensitive response to all of the people's anxiety. Tell us why the tower fell, Jesus, or the insecurity is going to drive us crazy. I'll tell you, he said, those people were no more sinners than you are. And guess what? Unless you repent you'll all likewise perish. It's kind of like getting the ice bucket challenge. You're chilled by the starkness of that language. Repent or be doomed. Where is there any comfort in that? Where is there any peace or any security that's going to calm our fears? You know, the circumstances that gave rise to those pilgrims' questions that day kind of covered the waterfront of tragedy. The Galileans, outsiders. The Jerusalemites, insiders. But both equally dead. The Galileans were killed by ruthless and oppressive tyrants. A lot like Ukrainian children or runaway slaves. The Jerusalemites were simply in the wrong place at the wrong time, 
like a tree that falls on a car or a train that jumps off the tracks. But Jesus doesn't honor any of those distinctions. Instead, he kind of lumps all the violence and all the suffering of the world into one pile and offers his followers no insider knowledge to help them regain their footing. But our search, our search for the formula to control our fate persists. We cling to a world where people get what they deserve, where God guarantees some kind of quid pro quo. And we resist all of Jesus' warning that we are just like everybody else, blind to our sins and equally in need of repentance. So Jesus does what Jesus frequently does when people don't have any eyes to see or any ears with which to hear. Jesus tells a story. Once upon a time, he said, there's a man who had a fig tree planted in a vineyard. Every year when it was time for the crops to come in, he came to the fig tree looking for figs, and every year for three straight years, he finds that tree barren. Finally, the man says to the vine dresser, I come hoping for fruit, but there isn't any. And yet this tree continues to take up space in the vineyard. It uses up the nutrients of the soil. This year, I think it might be time to cut it down. But the vine dresser says, no, let's leave it alone. Let's give it one more year. Let me dig around it. Let me use some special fertilizer. And then if it doesn't bear any fruit next year, you can do away with it. Well, we know that the point of the parable was not lost on Jesus' listeners. They would have been familiar with the fifth chapter of Isaiah, where there's a vineyard, lovingly planted, graciously cared for, but producing bad fruit. God's destruction of the vineyard would have been for them an allusion to Israel and to Judah. And the hard truth that judgment comes because people have responded to God's love with bloodshed and distress is part of their understanding. But in Luke's gospel, that message gets to be just a little bit different. In this parable, God's grace moves to the fore. The fig tree, as barren as it has been, is going to get one more chance to fulfill its potential. But care has to be taken not to squander the opportunity. The graciousness of God in this passage is in tension with the reality of God's judgment. People are expected to produce fruit in season. Rodney Hunter, who was a professor of mine and a professor of pastoral care, puts it this way, sin matters a great deal to God because God cares passionately about the health and the vitality 
and the fruitfulness of the whole world. The sacredness of life matters to God. It drives God's responses to our failures to live into the abundant love that we've received. And so God's persistent insistence that we should bear fruit is both firm and patient. There's a willingness to wait a little longer, to try again with us. But the time for reorienting is now. For us to think that sin can be dealt with whenever we get around to it is to trivialize our needs, but more importantly, to trivialize the needs of other people. It causes us to misjudge the seriousness of God's love and to court disaster. So what does it mean for us to repent and to bear fruit? And most especially, what does it mean in challenging times? When we're being called on to change our behaviors and to learn to pull together again, are we going to be the embodiment of God's love? Are we going to live with joy and peace and patience and generosity and gentleness in what are times of great chaos? Or are we going to buy into seeing people as if they are objects whose only value is their role in my success. You know, when I was working for the Betty Ford Center and traveling to Oklahoma City, I had an opportunity to visit the memorial at the Murrah Federal Building, the site of the Oklahoma bombing. And it was a really moving experience. I don't know if any of you have had a chance to visit there. Anybody? It's so well done. Outside, there is a reflecting pool with a clock at each end. One of them says 9 o'clock, one of them says 9.02 when the explosion occurred. And then up on the hillside, there are all of these chairs, empty chairs, to represent those children in the daycare center who died there. You go inside, you hear a recording that begins, and then you hear the sound of the explosion in that water hearing that they were holding. And then you begin to funnel down through all of the displays of artifacts and items and things that were destroyed. But the most significant thing, I think, about that memorial was its commitment to the prevention of future violence. They wanted people who went there to learn a lesson from the past. Now, none of the people that built that memorial were terrorists, but they knew. They knew firsthand that terrorism is like a river, that it begins with a small headwater and then it gathers all kinds of power as it flows to the sea. And so they decided in that memorial to focus on the children. They offered them 
opportunity to think seriously about the effects of violence. There were places for them to paint, to color, to write stories in response to what they had seen. Those people were hoping that repenting of small acts of inhumanity, like bullying, and learning to value other people, even when they're different from you, might reduce the possibility of future acts of terrorism on a grand scale. What a different approach that is than legislation that allows 14-year-old children to own a handgun if their parents give permission. God gives us time, but God doesn't promise us forever. So here we are at the end of this third week of the 40 days of danger in Lent. We've spent some time in the wilderness sorting out the voices that compete for our attention, learning to recognize the often impractical voice of God. We've talked about finding the courage to stand up for what is right just because it's the right thing to do. But today's piece of the message has two parts. First, we are called to repent, to invite God to examine our hearts and our lives and forgive us for all of those times when we have been less than loving, less than kind in our deeds or our thoughts, in large ways and in small. But secondly, we need to pay attention to the urgency of God by listening to that story about the fig tree. You see, God's mercy is still in serious conversation with God's judgment. And scripture tells us that it is for a season. And the barrenness that we live with in our world is a sign of people's failure to take our loyalty to God as seriously as we ought. In the movie, The Dead Poets Society, there's a Latin phrase that sums up the mindset of the characters. Carpe diem, seize the day. It's the tattoo on my daughter's ankle. <laughs> These words are echoed in the message of Jesus this morning. Seek the Lord while the Lord may be found. Carpe diem, seize the day. Amen. Hi everyone, my name is Nicole Vega and I have the honor of leading us in our time of shared prayer today. Um, Troy, that was unbelievable. I'm gonna try <laughs> to just keep my emotions together. Um, so my husband and I are core group leaders, um, and this season we are really diving into God's word. We're dusting off our Bibles and just really focusing on, on scripture to just help us with our everyday life. Um, and a lot of us in core group had a really tough start of the year, and so I thought, you know, the first discussion should be about encouragement. 
And so I think with everything that Elaine has spoken today and, and worship has been about, I think we can you know, all unanimously agree that even when life is tough, we can still seek encouragement from the Lord. And so the prayer today will be around that. So when I say, Lord, in your mercy, please respond with hear our prayers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word confirms that you know us inside and out, better than we even know ourselves. You see every part of us, from the moments that we feel weak and hopeless to the times when something or someone cheers us up. You're there with us in every thought, every action, and every step. And that is mind-blowing. Your presence is everywhere. It's in the sanctuary where we sing and sit hopeful for you. Lord, help us believe that there is nowhere we can go where you're not already there, surrounding us with your love and care. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for guidance. Right now, I'm walking through a twin pregnancy that I have very little clue how to manage on a day-to-day. We have relationships that need mending. We have mental health up and down. We have important life decisions that we're making. And with all of that, there's so much hurt in the world, making it so hard to see good and justice. But we are fortunate and blessed enough to have the power of heaven by our side. Lord, in your mercy. When I think about how you created us, unique masterpieces crafted by your hands, I think about how individually we may feel inadequate or less than at times. But together, we can build each other up in a united front driven by love and acceptance. We are so grateful for this Eastside community. Lately, I've been thinking about dreams and goals and aspirations. And before we even begin to tell ourselves, and before we even begin to pursue those dreams, we tell ourselves dozens of reasons why we won't be good at something or why we can't accomplish it. Help us, Lord, to keep moving forward and to focus on the opportunities ahead. Empower us to chase after the things we care about and aspire, not just for recognition, but because we get to spread the values that matter the most to you. Joy, peace, acceptance, love, grace, and justice. Lord, in your mercy. Thank you for bringing us together today. We pray for the needs of each person in this room, for those who are without a home, who come to East Side for kindness and support, and for our surrounding communities that we all deeply care about. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Friends, as we move into a time of confession, join me in our communal confessional prayer. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. 
We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I now invite you into a time of silent confession and reflection. Friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us when we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. The homework this week is really, really hard, and I mean that, because it's the time to reflect on where your life bears fruit and where it does not perhaps bear the fruit that God is calling you to bring forth. And so I would invite you to spend some time in quiet, to spend some time by yourself, to try to do some honest reflection on where you are with that. And now I invite you also to go in peace. And in the name of the one who has created us, the one who has redeemed us, the one who sustains us, this week to come. Amen. that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to connecting with you soon. If you'd like to experience our full church services, you can find them at youtube.com slash eastsidechurchatl. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Eastside, you can find our giving portal at our website, eastsideatl.org. Be well.